Good? All right, cool. Um, so yeah, my name is Claude. Uh, so my wife, Kelsey, um, our son, Julian, is downstairs. If you hear screaming, that's probably him. Um, really excited to be with you guys um, uh, this morning. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about um, us and how we ended up going cross-country from Seattle to, uh, to Somerville, and then I want to jump into uh, to God's Word um, in the book of Acts. So um, Jesus really grabbed a hold of me uh, in college. Um, I was st- doing undergrad, studying English. That's where I met Kelsey at the same time. I kind of went from the, uh, the, the party guy, the guy you connect with to find out what's going on on the weekend, to the guy who was really trying to just talk about Jesus to you until the point that you got annoyed and wanted to walk away. Um, and so that's what happened to me in college. And, and right after that, um, I started to get interested in, uh, in this concept of church planting I had never heard of before. Um, just kind of thought churches just, you know, spawn um, out of nowhere. And then I realized, no, someone, something had to happen for, for that to, uh, to, to sprout up. And so I, I got exposed to this idea of church planting, told Kelsey about it. This was uh, before we were married, and she got very upset. This was derail a lot of her plans, and she wasn't ready to be a pastor's wife. And we had a lot of time to process through that. And so um, a couple of years ago, probably uh, 2009, um, it was the year before we got married, uh, we, we really felt like church planting was the way we were going to go. And um, at the time, we really were limiting our options for church planting to the West Coast. Um, so we're in the Seattle, Washington area. Do you guys know where Washington is? Okay, okay, good. We tell people from Washington, they're oh, D.C. And like, no, 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 the other side of the country. So, so we're in uh, Seattle, uh, Washington area, and we really limit, we're, we're really trying to focus on church planting on the West Coast. Close with our family, all our families on the West Coast, we were like, okay, you know, Washington, Oregon, California, those are our options. And, um, and so we were thinking through that for, for quite a while. And then um, eventually we, uh, we really felt like we were maybe putting a limit on where God might call us or direct us. Um, and we started to open up the search, and we expanded it. And so uh, we initially thought we might go to Seattle. We took a trip down to California. Didn't like it, too sunny. We needed some clouds and some rain, so we wrote that off. Took a trip to Philadelphia, um, great cheesesteaks, but didn't seem like a fit. And then a friend mentioned uh, Boston, and I was like, you know, that's a, that's a decent idea. You know, let me sleep on that. Um, and uh, we started thinking about it, and it just seemed to make more and more sense. And uh, part of my background is I grew up in Washington, as Matt mentioned. I did three years of high school in Lowell and then moved back to Washington for college and grad school. And so I had a connection with the area, and then we started to hear about the work that God was doing among a lot of churches in the Boston area. We got really excited. Um, we also heard that there was a need for more churches here, which really excited us. And we took a trip, and uh, Matt drove us around Chelsea, Revere, Everett, all sorts of places. Kelsey's in the back of the car saying, no, 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 yes, maybe, no. And, uh, but, but we came back from that trip and prayed and really felt like this is where God wanted us to be. Um, as much as, I, as much as I want to tell you that I had a vision or a dream of a, of a Bostonian wearing a Red Sox jersey saying, come over here, come here and preach the gospel to us. That's not the way it worked. We just felt like this was a great place to be. We wanted to be here because we love Jesus and we want to see him uh, made much of wherever we go. And so that's why we moved cross country. And really what I want to convey to you guys today that hopefully will be a blessing and encouragement from the book of Acts, we're going to do a little bit of an overview of this book, is really the whole... The whole motive for making Jesus known, for telling people about the gospel, for sharing who Jesus is and what he has done through the gospel, the whole motive for that is love. The whole motive for making Jesus known is love. You may have heard this phrase of, of living on mission, 
Um, it's this idea of helping people hear about Jesus, helping to make disciples, friends, neighbors, coworkers, kids, this concept of mission. And really what I want to convey to you as we do an overview of the book of Acts is that we live on mission for Jesus out of our love for Jesus. It's out of love for Jesus that we live on mission for Jesus. Um, a, a lot of times, if you, if you have a Christian background, you, you have maybe felt this pressure out of guilt that, okay, in order to be um, good Christian, a good follower of Jesus, I need to tell people about Jesus. And you, you feel motivated to make Jesus known by guilt. Guilt is a horrible motive for mission. Guilt is a horrible motive for trying to tell your friends, your neighbors about what Jesus has done in your life. It's horrible. It's actually really foolish because if you tell more people about Jesus, God will not love you more. It just doesn't work. It's, it's, if, 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 you can, if you think that, okay, I've told four people about Jesus over this last year, God loves me four times more than he loves this person back here in the purple shirt. That's not the way it works. Another motive we often have for, for trying to make Jesus known to people is pride. We're going to feel that we're better than the person that hasn't shared Jesus as much as we have. That's contrary to what Jesus died to do. The motive for mission is love. Compelled by a love for Jesus and a love for the people around you, we want to share the hope that we have in Christ. Think of the message of the gospel. Hear this message and see if it draws your heart into a love for Jesus that would then propel you outward to tell others about Jesus. The message that we have, the message that we have heard, the message that many of you have received, the message that maybe some of you are contemplating right now, the greatest news in human history is the message that God has looked down upon a rebellious humanity and instead of giving us the penalty that we deserve, he sent Jesus, his son, to take that penalty on our behalf by dying on a cross and resurrecting so that through faith in Jesus' work, we would be restored back to God who created us to know him, to enjoy him, and to flourish under his reign and rule. We receive everything we do not deserve through faith in the atoning work of Christ. And when that message begins to hit your soul, it increases and creates a love for Jesus and a desire for other people to experience that love, that hope, and that salvation. So it's a love for Jesus that then is the motive to help others know about it. And so I want us to look at the book of Acts and do a little bit of an overview. Um, as Matt mentioned, um, and as we read, Acts is really, um, you can really think of it as, as the, the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. If you look at the top of your Bible, it's going to say the Acts of the Apostles. But it's great to include the Holy Spirit in there because as we, we heard in Acts 1.8, Jesus, before he ascends, after his resurrection, before he ascends into heaven, he tells his disciples that you're going to receive power from God the Holy Spirit. And that power, the Holy Spirit's going to empower you then to help other people know about Jesus. And what we see in the book of Acts is that what's the, this Jesus movement starts with 12 people, many of them fishermen, smelly, common people. It starts with 12, and then it spreads to Jerusalem, spreads to the outer regions of Judea and Samaria. And then by the end of Acts, Acts chapter 8, the gospel, the message of Jesus has spread all the way to Rome. And Jesus, as he gives this charge, he says, 
Holy Spirit's going to empower you. You're going to be my witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Do you guys know where the ends of the earth is? No, one person shakes their head, no. The ends of the earth. The ends of the earth includes Melrose. Do you know that? The ends of the earth includes Malden. The ends of the earth includes Wakefield. The ends of the earth includes Somerville. The ends of the earth includes Seattle. It includes Dubai. It includes everywhere. So we are a part of this story. The fact that you are now sitting in a church hearing the word of God preached is proof that Jesus' promise of his people being empowered to spread the gospel works and is active and is happening right now. So let's jump into this. Acts 1.8. So we see that Jesus says, you will be my witnesses and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So here's the first thing we need to see as we think about mission is that we are empowered by the Spirit of God to tell the world about the Son of God. And we're empowered by the Spirit through the gospel. The moment you believe that Christ has died and risen for your sins, you have the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Holy Spirit had to illuminate your heart to believe in that truth in the first place. So you have the Holy Spirit if you call on Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit isn't an additional supplement that you pick up at the vitamin store to increase your Christian life. You have the Holy Spirit the moment that you believe in Jesus. So what that means is every single person here who calls on Jesus as their Lord and their Savior is empowered by the Holy Spirit as an ambassador, as a witness of the gospel. Every single one of you. You may feel like you're a poor witness. You may feel like you're a mediocre witness that's hitting maybe, you know, 285. Or you may feel like you're a great witness. It doesn't matter. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit to make Jesus known. And what we see in Acts, um, we see probably maybe nine to ten ways that the church engages in this mission to make Jesus known. And what I want to go over with you guys today is just three primary ways the church, God's people, engaged on mission to make Jesus known. With the hope that you guys would be encouraged to see the ways that that is happening here at Seven Mile that you guys would be challenged to see the ways that you can grow in that, and that you guys would all be stirred from the heart to trust in Jesus and out of love for him and love for others to make him known. So what we see is Jesus gives this call that you're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and the disciples, right after Jesus ascends, after he gives that that note that you're going to be empowered by the Spirit, they go and do something in the meantime. What do you think is that thing that they go do? Anyone want to take a guess? Jesus ascends, and the disciples go do something. Anyone take a guess? You guys can talk. Anyone throw a guess? I won't laugh if you get it wrong. Okay, I'll give you multiple choice. A, pray. B, go get a burrito. C, take a nap. D, take another nap. What do you think? A, they go, they go and they pray. They go and they pray. This is one of the key things from the book of Acts. Prayer in the book of Acts is not just this linear thing that happens, you know, every five chapters. It's actually an atmosphere. It's something that permeates the whole book of Acts. Because when we pray, we are asking God to do what only God can do. And so the disciples get this this message from Jesus that they're going to be empowered to take the message of Jesus, the gospel, from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Most of these guys have probably never even left Jerusalem. 
And so they're probably wondering, how is this going to happen? And so their first response, we don't know. Let's pray. So we see this in Acts 1, 12 through 14. They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. And listen to this. And all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. They are praying. They're praying. And the next thing that happens in the book of Acts, they pray in chapter 1 here, and then in chapter 2 at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes in power upon them. Jesus' promise is fulfilled, and after that, the world is turned upside down. The gospel message just explodes all over the place. But what do we see kick it off? Prayer. What do we see as an atmosphere throughout the whole book of Acts as the gospel goes forward like wildfire? Prayer. Now, if you guys are anything like me, you often think that prayer is a very passive endeavor. If you're anything like me, you can often think prayer is passive. That is kind of like, you know, i got a lot of things to do, but let me waste a few minutes by praying. That's honestly sometimes how I feel. If you guys will be honest here, you probably connect with that. But prayer is actually an active, initiating, powerful work because we're calling upon God to do what only God can do. And let's face it, prayer is much more important than we think it is. Even if you think prayer is important, you cannot overestimate its importance. Think about this. When we're talking about the context of mission and making Jesus known, can you, in and of yourself, open someone's mind and heart to believe in Jesus? Can you do that? Can you, in and of yourself, make skeptics turn into believers? Can you, in and of yourself, plant churches all across the Boston area or the world? We can't do any of these things. We're helpless to do these things. We're helpless to achieve these things. We struggle just to live the Christian life faithfully from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. How in the world are we going to take the message of the gospel to our friends? But when we are praying, we are asking God to step into what is happening and to work by his power for his glory and for the good of his people in our city. And so prayer is powerful. I want you to hear these two quotes from two old men who are probably dead. People may spurn our appeals. They may reject our message. They may oppose our arguments. They may despise our persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. Do you know that? Listen to this. No place on earth is closed to intercessory prayer. No continent, no nation, no organization, no city, no office. There is no power on earth that can keep intercession out. Did you know that with prayer, because of prayer, you can change a place without being in that place? Do you know that with prayer, you may have somebody in your life that you want them to know about Jesus because you love them and you care for them? But you know what? They may, have, they may say, you know, I really don't feel comfortable talking about this stuff. And out of love for them, you respect them. And you may feel, oh, this is hopeless. I'm never going to be able to tell them about Jesus. Pray. Pray. You have no idea what God will do. And so prayer is powerful. And some of you may be thinking, uh, if, you're, if you're like me, that your prayers are weak and distracted. You know, sometimes I'm praying. I'll kind of sit down in the morning and pray. And then the next thing I know, I'm on the internet. And just like, how, how did this happen? 
I was just on my knees, and now I'm on the computer. Like, whoa, is this a, it's prayer? am I teleporting? Is this like Acts chapter 8 where Philip teleports? I mean, what is, what is going on? I mean, we get so distracted, and a lot of times that's an incredible discouragement for our prayer life, right? Like, God, I can't pray with focus for more than 10 minutes. How are you going to hear this prayer? But if we remember the gospel, we know that God hears our prayers not based on their strength or eloquence, but because we are praying in the name of Jesus. God hears our prayers based on the intercessory work of Jesus Christ. God doesn't hear our prayers because I've been a good Christian this week or because I prayed attentively in long, eloquent prayers that sound very churchy. He hears our prayers because through the death of Jesus Christ, we have been made his sons and daughters. And so he's happy to hear them. We can approach and pray to God with boldness and confidence, knowing that our distracted prayers do not hinder him from hearing. And in fact, I really believe personally from from my experience that sometimes your distracted prayers, when God answers them, It's very humbling because there is no way that you can take credit for what just happened. It's surprising to me when my prayers get answered because I think to myself, that was such a distracted, half-hearted, measly prayer, but God still heard it because he hears it based on Christ's work, not mine. And so it causes me to give him even more glory. And so prayer is a crucial way to engage in the mission of the gospel going forward. And so here's what I want to challenge you guys to think about. Imagine the great things that will happen in Seven Mile, in Malden, in Melrose, if this becomes or continues to be a church where people pray. Imagine the marriages that are restored. Imagine the lives that will be changed and brought under the lordship of Jesus. Imagine the people that you would see come up here within this next year or in the next five years or in the next 10 years and say, you know what? When I first started hanging with this community, I really didn't know what I thought about Jesus. But the more I heard the message of the gospel, the more I realized I needed a Savior. And the more I realized that, the more I realized Jesus was that Savior and I want to get baptized. Imagine the stories you will hear if you, as a church, continue to give yourselves to prayer, asking God to do what only God can do. And so my challenge to you is to, to, to think about what will it look like for you to engage on mission out of love for Jesus through prayer. So one way you can do this is to, to take 10, 15, 30 minutes a day, journal and pray for people. Journal it so you can see how God answers those prayers. Journal it so that you can not fall asleep and end up on the internet. Journal it to record and see what God does. So devote yourselves to prayer, not out of guilt so that God will love you, but out of your standing as a son or daughter with him in love and a desire for people to know Jesus. So prayer. So out of love for Jesus, we have the privilege of being on mission for Jesus by praying. But another crucial aspect of mission we see in the book of Acts is telling. Telling people about Jesus, right? Jesus, when he gives that call in Acts 1.8, he says to his disciples, you will be my what? What does he say? Witnesses, yeah. Did you guys know that you are all incredible witnesses for various things? I uh, most recently have been an incredible witness for, uh, my wife as well, incredible witness for these chips by Lay's. I don't know if they have them out here, but they're chicken and waffle chips. You guys had those? Yeah. um, The first time I had those, I turned into a Lay's evangelist. I would not shut up about those chips. They're, they're, this is a sweet and sour combination. I I don't know if you guys have chicken and waffles out here. Um, 
but they molded them into a form of a chip. And so the first time I had that, man, I was a witness for those chips. I just everywhere I went, hey, man, have you tried these chips? Have you tried these chips? And uh, I was just, you know, spreading the gospel of Lay's everywhere I went. And so I think one of the things we have to realize as we talk about mission is, is that um, it's very natural for us to share things that we're excited about or things that have been good or sweet to us. And so if you're here and you're not a Christian and you're, you're thinking, man, why do, my, why do my Christian friends keep trying to tell me about Jesus and, and doing all this stuff? It's really because, one, they love you, and two, Jesus is, they have seen that Jesus is good. And so out of a desire and the love for the goodness of Jesus, they're just excited and they want other people to enter into that. Um, it, it's out of love. And so what we need to realize as we think about witnesses is that we all witness to things. The good movie we just saw, you know, if you ever saw me play basketball, you would become a witness for me. You see my step back jump shot, it, you would just witness. And, and so we witness to these things that we enjoy or things that are good. And so one of the things that we need to see from the book of Acts is that telling, sharing, witnessing, conversing is crucial for the gospel to go forward. You may have heard this quote from St. Francis, uh, this, um, how does it go? Preach the gospel, um, always, if necessary, use words. You guys are familiar with that? Um, I don't really think historically there's any real basis to crediting that to him. I don't think he really said that. But even if he did, that quote doesn't make sense. There is no mission happening without the gospel being communicated. The message of Jesus crucified and risen for our sins, for the sins of all who would believe in him, has to be communicated or else no one's going to believe. How will they believe if they haven't heard? And so we have to, we have to tell. There has to be a proclamation. And uh, one great spot to see this in Acts is a crucial um, pillar of the mission going forward is Acts 4.12, where, where Peter and John have just been uh, arrested and questioned for telling about Jesus, and, and the religious leaders are trying to you know, work a little deal with them and tell them to you know, stop telling people about Jesus, please. And they say, you know what, we can't really do that. We have to judge between you and between God. We have to follow what we think God wants us to do. And Peter says this one line, Acts 4.12. Listen to this. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So Peter is saying what the whole Bible testifies to is that there is one way to be restored to God. There is one way to be made right with our Creator, and that one way is the cross of Jesus Christ and trusting in Him. So what that means is that if you believe in the gospel, you have the one message of cosmic reconciliation that can restore humanity to their Creator. This is better than a cure for cancer. This is better than a one-shot cure that would fix all the brokenness in our school systems, in our uh, judicial system. This is better than any of those things. You have the message that restores people to God, their creator. And ultimately, do you know what that message culminates in for all who trust in Jesus? A world where there is no tears, a new heaven, a new earth, a new creation, where we are with God enjoying life as we ought to perfectly. That's what the gospel leads us into. And so, that's the message, Seven Mile, that you have. That's the message that you have that that Melrose, Wakefield, Malden, all of Boston, the whole world, that's the message they need to hear. And you have it. And so, here's what we need to do with this. Thinking of the first way we engage on mission is pray, 
You, if you want to be a more efficient, effective, more frequent sharer of the good news of Jesus, pray to that end. Pray to that end. Pray that God, despite all my fears, I want to share the hope I have in Jesus more often. Make that your prayer every day, and I guarantee you, you will start to see open opportunities to naturally, not in a weird, creepy way, but naturally share about the hope you have in Jesus. Make that your prayer every single day, and then look for opportunities to see that happen. So if you want an application homework from this, um, you could write this down or just remember it in your brain. Uh, Acts 4.29, make that your prayer. Acts 4.29, make that your prayer. And journal and see what God does. A couple other things um, that I think help you in telling about Jesus, and we see this in Acts. Um, Acts 26, the Apostle Paul ends up going before court and, uh, and testifies um, about the gospel. But the way that he shares the gospel is not asking this abrupt question, where are you going to go when you die? He shares the gospel by telling his story. So in order to be an effective witness or teller of the gospel, you've got to know the gospel. And if you've been saved by Jesus, you need to know how to tell your story. So if somebody asks you, hey, what's the deal with you, man? You go to this church on Green Street. Why do you do that? Do you know how you would respond in a way that's not creepy, but begins to share the hope that you have in Jesus? Can you articulate what happened to you when you became a Christian? Know your story. Another way to uh, be more effective at at telling and sharing the gospel is is one that's easy, but I think personally it's hard to do. Talk about your struggles with people that don't believe in Jesus. uh, And hopefully you have friends that don't believe in Jesus. But the more you actually talk about what's really happening in your life and how Jesus is working on you and you're in progress, in process, the more open people will be to tell you what they're dealing with. And you know what you get to then enter in and and counsel them with? The message of hope, the gospel. I had one opportunity. uh, I was driving in a car with one of my best friends um, who uh, does not believe in Jesus yet. Um, and he, uh, he started talking about um, basically just uh, this, this sin that he, knew somebody, uh, that he knew someone had engaged in. And he was kind of uh, just bad-mouthing it and saying, you know, what type of person could ever do this and so on and so forth. And uh, actually, that's something that I had done um, before I knew Jesus. And so in my heart, I was just like, man, I can, here's my opportunity to tell Kelly, man, you think only really bad people do that? I used to do that. I did that. And, and you know what's changed? Man, Jesus grabbed a hold of me, and this is what happened. But you know what I did instead? It was just kind of like, mm-hmm, yeah. Um, where do you want to go eat? And just skipped right over that opportunity to talk about a struggle that I had and what God had done when he saved me to grow me and to change me. But out of my pride, I didn't want to open up, skipped right over it, and had a great opportunity that God had laid in my lap to share um, about the hope I have in Jesus. So the more you make a pattern of talking about your struggles and your sin and what Jesus is doing in your life now, both to your Christian brothers and sisters and the people that you love that don't know Jesus yet, you will have open door opportunities to speak the gospel, naturally. So it's a great way to engage. And the last way we really see the church engage on mission um, is, is this mindset, this uh, posture 
of living scent, a, a posture of, of a living scent. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen these. Uh, if, you're, if you're a parent, maybe you've seen these. There's these robot toys that you put them on the ground and they just start walking. Wherever you put them, they will continue to walk. You could put them against a wall. They will continue to walk. You could put them off the edge of a cliff. They will continue to walk. But they just keep doing this thing. Kind of looks like me when I try to dance. Um, and they, they just keep walking. And wherever they are, they have the same posture. They have the same identity. They have the same mindset. They have the same actions. And really, if you have been purchased by the blood of Jesus, that is your identity, living scent. You're, you are not a witness of Jesus when you share the gospel. You are a witness of Jesus by your identity. And so that means wherever you go, God has invited you into this opportunity to live sent and to help other people hear and know the gospel. And this is exactly what we see in Acts with the church um, in Acts chapter 8. Basically, what you see in the book of Acts is Jesus gives this call, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then what? The ends of the earth. What happens is the church likes to be comfortable, so they stay in Jerusalem. And then in Acts chapter 8, guess what happens? On the heels of a Christian being murdered, then the gospel begins to spread to Judea and Samaria, and then from there it spreads to the ends of the earth. But what we see in Acts chapter 8 is that as the church realizes, man, if we continue living in Jerusalem, we're going to get murdered. Let's go here. The church decides, or the church better yet, realizes that their posture is one of a witness. So as they move from the area of persecution into a new land, they continue to share the message that resulted in persecution back here. Now, if you ask me that, you know, pragmatically, that's not the smartest thing to do. But because it's their posture, because it's their identity as people redeemed by Jesus, the church has this disposition and acts, wherever I go, I'm a witness for Jesus. Doesn't matter if I'm in Seattle, doesn't matter if I'm in Somerville, I am a witness for Jesus. And so what we see in Acts 1, or excuse me, Acts 8, 1 through 4, is that the church scatters, and then we hear this beautiful verse in Acts uh, 8, 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So we see that as the church is moving, people continue preaching. And then what we see that's even more beautiful is Acts uh, Acts 8.1. We find out that there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So we hear that the church is scattered from Jerusalem out, but the apostles stay. And then we see in Acts 8, 4, that those who were scattered went about preaching the word. You know what that means? This is not just the leaders of the church. This is just the people of the church. Surely there are some deacons, because we know that from the verses that follow with Philip, but this is just the people of the church, the common people that love Jesus. As they're scattered, they continue to, to spread the word and tell about Jesus. It's just their posture. And so here's the charge to you guys. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, your posture is, is, is that of a sent one. That's just, that's just your identity. You've been given the message that leads to salvation and reconciliation, and now your posture is one who gets to be a witness to what Jesus has done through the gospel and in your life to bring you to faith in that very gospel. So what you then get to figure out is if that is your posture and your identity, how does that get expressed? How does that inward identity given to you through the empowering of the Holy Spirit by faith in the gospel, how does that get expressed? I think it gets expressed in two ways, by staying or by going. 
So, so a lot of times there's this disposition that in order to really live sent for Jesus, you need to get on a plane and you need to go and you need to move far away, say from Seattle to Somerville. I don't think that's the case. I don't think biblically you could make a case for that. The, the, the call that we have is wherever you are as a disciple of Jesus, you have the posture of a missionary. You have the posture of a sent one, whether you go or you stay. And so for those of you that, that this is your home for the foreseeable future, what would it look like for you to live as if you were a missionary plopped down here by God in his sovereign providence? What would that look like? That may look like a lot of the things you're doing right now, but some of those things may look different. Challenge you to think about your life, your time, your hobbies, your relationships in that way. Um, I, had a, I have a friend, our, our church is, um, like you guys, big into church planting, um, and we have, a, we have a friend that also is being sent out um, around the same time that, that we are, and he's, uh, he's actually going to plant a church in Iraq. Um, and so, so when we go to different conferences and stuff, um, I'm always with him, and so it's really fun to introduce myself. Yeah, I'm, going, I'm moving to, from Seattle to Boston area. People are like, oh, wow, that's cool. And then my buddy comes, he's like, and, and they ask him, you know, what are you doing? He's like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm moving to Iraq to plant a church. You know, I'm kind of like, okay, well, you know, showed me up. And everyone's just like, whoa, you're going to Iraq? And, uh, and, and he, his response is, is um, yeah, I am. And the people will, will push back, like, man, that's so amazing. That's so incredible. You're so brave. You're so heroic. You're such a hero. Things like that. And they lay it on thick. And, he's, uh, and he just responds, looks them dead in the eye and says one word, why? Why? Why is it so special that I'm, my wife and I are moving to Iraq to tell people about Jesus? Isn't this what we do? Right? Think about this. If we, re- if we really believe that Jesus Christ is the one way to be reconciled to God, is it really strange that someone would move from Seattle, Washington to Iraq to tell people about Jesus? I mean, we should be sending people to the moon to get ready for when the colonies start. Get set up, get the church built, get the nice cushy chairs that you guys got. I mean, if we really believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins and resurrected and he is the only way we can be restored into relationship with God, I mean, that just makes sense. And so here's what I want to encourage you guys with. The identity is a sent one. How that gets expressed, that's for us to figure out through prayer, through community. But whether you're going or whether you're staying, you're not a greater Christian or a lesser Christian. You're a sent one bought by the blood of Jesus. It's amazing. And so my challenge, my encouragement to those of you that, that God has placed you in this area for the foreseeable future, and hopefully for some of you for till, till we put you in the casket, that you would invest in this area as a sent one, and you would ask the question, what does it look like for me to take the posture of a missionary? Imagine God has just plopped you down in your town where you live and said, you're a missionary here. How would you live? How would you interact? What would you do? And do those things prayerfully. Now, we talked about that Jesus gives this call that we would go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. And the ends of the earth includes Melrose. So this call that Jesus gives is basically a call from Jerusalem to Melrose to Dubai to Seattle to the ends of the earth. Do you know what the end picture is of this story? Do you, have, do you, do you ever think 
you know, take, a, take a moment, take a second to reflect on what is the end picture of what Jesus is doing in the world? I want you to listen to this. This is the end picture of what we see happening, actually not just in Acts, but from the first book of the Bible, Genesis, from creation to, till, um, till Jesus restores all things. This is Revelation chapter 7. Listen to this. This is the end game of the story of Acts. This is the end game of the story that we are involved in right now. Listen to this. Revelation 7. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures, they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That's the end, of the, the end game of the story of the book of Acts, the story of the whole Bible, is that God is redeeming and gathering a people who do not deserve to be with him, but he is gathering them anyway. He is bringing them to himself through the work of his son Jesus. And in the meantime, before we are with him face to face in a new heavens, new earth, all things restored and redeemed, in the meantime, we have this message that we get to carry in love to our children, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our family, and to our coworkers. And we don't do it in our own strength or to earn a standing with God. We do it out of the standing that we have through the gospel of Jesus as forgiven and loved, no matter how poor of a witness we are. We are loved and forgiven by the work of Jesus, and then he empowers us by his spirit to help others encounter his love and his grace. It's pretty amazing. That's the story we're invited into. It's for Seven Mile, my hope and my prayer for you guys is that God would allow that story to unfold with more fruit and more fruit as the years and years go by. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have that you have made a way for us to be redeemed and restored and reconciled to you. God, we thank you that you would send your son Jesus to come to live the, the perfect obedient life that, that no one has or could, to die the death that, that we deserve to die, to resurrect victoriously, God, so that through the work of the Holy Spirit and you bringing people to faith, we could be reconciled and restored to you. God, thank you that, that we have this message of salvation and that you empower us by your Spirit to help the people that we love hear this same message as well. And so, God, I pray for Seven Mile. I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for the labor of the volunteers, of the people that pray. God, of every person here, of the elders, of deacons, God, that, that have spent time on their knees, opening your word, proclaiming it, and sharing it. And, God, you have blessed their work by, by producing a church that loves you. God, I pray that you would allow um, their, their influence in this community to grow in amazing ways. I pray that you would bear incredible fruit with lives changed, people being 
brought back to you, people being baptized, marriage restored, children professing faith in Jesus, that you would bring all of these things about and you would bless the, the work of this church here in Melrose and in Malden and, God, to the ends of the earth. Jesus, thank you for calling us to be on mission with you by your spirit. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your sacrifice. We pray this all in your holy and powerful name. Amen.